Hi, and welcome to The Spoil Voters, a podcast based around the 2020 general election and the fallout after as we prepare for life under the 33rd dawn. Colossally slow movements, no real policy talks. Pitching those tents out there outside the U, I don't think was a big enough fight. What would canvassing be like with a coronavirus outbreak? Uh, kind of failed spectacular. That's sort of the main interest. I think it's more something they can put down in their CVs. So that mean they lose a new Kylie Minogue. Maybe, but we'll they would never vote for Let me Fall finish, for mo- let for me finish my point, Atkinson. Hello and welcome to the Spoiled Voters Podcast with me, your host, Tyg McNally. This week, I'm joined by three panellists rather than two. Uh, two of the usual guests, Shane Brennan, Callum Atkinson. How are you, lads? Hello. Not too bad, Tyg, are you? And this week, we're also joined by Brendan Fernando kelly Palenque, the editor-in-chief of The College View, uh, who just we just put out a new issue this week. How, how, how did it come out? I think it came out very well. I think this is probably one of our best issues ever, I'd say. And this is coming off the back of student union elections are coming up now today. Uh, the voting starts today. Um, so it's an interesting sort of week. And what could happen next? Um, who knows? Who knows? That's the real question. Bye bye, old SU. In with the new. In with the Lou, as one candidate has their um, slogan as. Unbelievable, right. Um, so look, we're, I guess we'll just we'll start off by talking about um, sort of the state of play in current government formation talks, if there are even, if you can even call it that. Yeah, I suppose the probably biggest talking point is the Sunday Times poll, which has, uh, yes. uh, I believe the statistic as repeated so eloquently by Eamon Duffy in a podcast yesterday was that between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, there are only one or 2% between them higher than Sinn Féin. Um, Sinn Féin. The Sinn Féin rise, as seen in the polls, has gone even more. We're rocking up to um, 35%, I think. Yeah. It's, 10 it's, point rise. It is quite incredible. And it's, I suppose there's a few points you can take from that. Firstly, um, I believe that the fact that Fine Gael are quite happy to go into opposition, you imagine that the reason why um, they did that is because you know, they're quite happy just to take the L, all right, we lost, we're just going to sit back, whatever. But their voters are probably going to leave them and go to independence because who votes for somebody to be in opposition? Nobody. So I, 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 think, mean. I think a lot of, a lot of the Fine Gael base, because put it from the point of view of a Fine Gael voter who would have voted for whatever reason that they did, whether it be an anti-Sinn Féin vote, an anti-Fianna Fáil vote, or, a, or, or I want Fine Gael to stay in government vote. They're sort of like the three main sort of broad reasons why you'd vote for Fine Gael other than any parish pump reasons. So, I mean, they're quite happy to sit back and let, you know, what is in their minds, the Antichrist, Sinn Féin, get into power and and lead the government. And then I think Fine Gael has, has lost support in that. But then the only really way I could really, you know, that the maths would support that would be if that support went to either Fianna Fáil or Independence. And it's not, it all seems to be going to Sinn Féin. And I think the Sinn Féin are doing quite well I mentioned last week the um, the sort of PR disasters that they've had and many people are still talking about the their sort of troubled past, let's say. But I think, you know, the between a desire for change, the way they've run the uh, their own uh, rallies, I suppose. And the fact that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, if they're seen as being likely to get into bed with each other, that decreases their own popularity as well. So um, it's definitely an interesting statistic to look at. But... How likely do we think that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are to get into bed together now? Like looking at it now, their popularity has rapidly decreased uh, over the past few weeks. Brennan, I want to go to you on this one. What I do you think? I think this is really a lose-lose situation for both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And I can only see Sinn Féin just getting more popular out of this. Like I, I actually don't see a future, at least in the near future, where Sinn Féin is in a worse position 
um, than they were before this election. I, I don't think that the the base of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael voters will ever really change to Sinn Féin. But what I think we're seeing is people who may have voted before for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael because their parents voted for them or for whatever kind of more traditional reasons who are now saying, actually, I do have options. Actually, I can vote for anyone that I want to. And, you know, there's been a lot of kind of talk about that where once they've done that for the first time, there's no reason to believe that they won't keep doing that. So what I hope most of all, and this is my own kind of personal aspiration, what I do hope from this isn't necessarily that this means that, oh, now Sinn Féin will have this good legacy of voters, but more that the electorate itself will be a bit more informed and a bit more engaged and be willing to think, actually, I'm not just going to vote for someone based on what my family ties are or anything like that, but who I personally believe would be the best people in government. And do you think this is sort of like a fundamental shift in Irish politics, the way Irish politics works? Definitely. I think you can definitely see that within, uh, ever since the election, since the crash, there's kind of been that shift, I feel like. Um, And this past election was the one that really sparked it and really sparked that change. But just on that, does Sinn Féin have to be the only party that gets the the change vote? (laughs) What do you think, Alan? Um, you, you wanna, well, they, they yeah. position themselves in such a way that they they are the 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 bene, the beneficiary beneficiary benefactors benefactors go on uh, of the, of that change vote and because I think a lot of people I I include myself in this uh, they were looking for some an alternative and Sinn Fein. Um, were the most credible alternative to Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, which I, is, I feel is why they've benefited uh, so much from that change vote. And also about that poll um, recently, I think it's more evidence that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, their strategy when it comes to Sinn Féin has been c- completely misguided and completely ineffective. And I don't know when they're going to uh, sense that just dismissing Sinn Féin completely is not a popular position to have and it's actually damaging them. They need to actually take on the policies of Sinn Féin if they want to seem in any way credible. So it's, it's less of this just attack Sinn Féin for Sinn Féin's sake. Like it's yeah. more you need to attack the policies and rip apart the policies rather than just yeah, I, going for the past. Yeah, I think one thing that is another reason why maybe Fianna Fáil lost a few votes is obviously, you know, there are many people who will never vote for Sinn Féin on a moral standpoint. It's nothing to do with um, with policies. They have a moral ob- um, objection to the fact that Sinn Féin, for example, don't actually officially recognise the state. Don't want, you know, you can't really have a party that... There's many people that would never vote for Sinn Féin for, finish, mo- for Let me finish reasons. my point, Atkinson. Let me finish my point. I'm being fairly... I'm trying, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be quite, quite general here. So, d- so... As I was saying, there's many people who will not vote for it on a moral standpoint, but the issues that are pressing, such as housing, homelessness, health, and so many others as well, are so pressing that, you know, the main two parties are losing support because it's not going well. If a government, a majority government were to be formed with these two parties, with possibly the Greens, a few independents, and it had the majority that could last five years, the only way that those parties could survive is if they put in a genuine shift and fix the problems. If they don't, then they have to prepare themselves for a wipeout. And so you have to wonder if they do go in there, will that extra shift actually try and, you know, make a genuine difference in health and housing? So to like so to try and win back the people who left and went to Sinn Fein and or the Social Democrats, will if this the, the question that I want to see answered when we do eventually have a government, probably three weeks after Paddy's Day, um, you know, will those parties 
just sort of cop onto themselves and say, look, we have to fix this because if we don't, after us being in, in bed together and it's the, those problems still exist to the same extent they do, we can just kiss, you know, you know, kiss any chances of being the biggest party goodbye. I want to I wanna look at something. Um, we've sort of been experiencing over across the world now with um, the coronavirus outbreak. I know we haven't really seen much of it here, but the second case was announced last night. There's, there's been a second case discovered in Ireland and in the East, in, in Dublin. But do we think that with something, with a cri- not, we're not a crisis quite yet, but if a crisis were to develop, that uh, that could potentially speed up government formation talks? Brendan, I'll go to you. I think... That's somewhat unlikely to happen still. Um, particularly Fianna Fáil and especially Fine Gael seem really more concerned with playing these type of election games than Shadow they boxing. are with like, actually forming a government. Um, and again, even if the situation was to get particularly bad with the coronavirus in Ireland, I don't think that changes the fact that the higher-ups in both Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil don't really want to lose seats and don't don't especially don't want to lose seats now at such a critical moment. Um, but I do think that if anyone is able to actually step up, uh, provided there is a crisis, which let's hope there's not, um, with regards to the coronavirus, if they are able to step up, I do think that could actually give them a, a good electoral advantage, um, particularly outside of all the other kind of politics which are going on now with like housing and all that type of stuff. Um, and even like Brexit, this could be a win. But then again, it could be similar to Fine Gael's Brexit situation where even if one party in particular does stand up and particularly help with this issue, maybe the electorate really doesn't care because I don't think coronavirus is going to affect most people's day-to-day life in Ireland. I sincerely hope I'm correct about that. But I actually was thinking, I think of something there is that if another election was called in the next month or two, what would canvassing be like? With a coronavirus outbreak, well, <laughs> I think that would be just something. It would be fist pumps instead of no, no hands, no more handshakes. No, they'd be sort of kicking each other's feet. No. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I think, I think that that'd be an interesting scenario to see. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it would be possible to have a have yeah. an election in the I next think, few months because of it. Yeah, amongst the uh, the old establishment political commentators that I've been listening to and reading. You're going to name any of them, Shane, or are you going to leave them? Uh, Dave Davenpower. There's one for you. Yeah, I have <laughs> names for this week. Um, I think one of the one of the things that many older voters, especially those who remember the days of the Fianna Fáil majority, which I was talking about last week, is that this this adds to the point of why they don't want another common supply or a minority government. That there are many people who are saying, okay, look at the coronavirus, look at the fact that we need a government that can get things done and get things done quickly. Because in the last government, not a lot of things really got through for various reasons. Um, so this government again, as people might want some form of return to a majority government, which could be a little plus, I suppose, in the in the back pocket of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, some rural independents and the Greens, if that were to come to, to fruition. But, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting point into how people, especially many of those who would have voted Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael before, are trying to push for, um, you know, what way they're trying to push during these talks. Yeah, um, I suppose... There's there's not really been much happening um, over the past two two well a week or so, but things still are moving. Um, if incredibly slowly, like it's it's colossally slow movements. No real policy talks, 
But I, I read this morning in the Irish Times, I believe, that um, both Mary Lou and uh, Leah Radker have exchanged letters. So it looks like potentially we could be up for some Fine Gael, Sinn Féin talks within the next few weeks. Does that mean whether, Mary Lou's a new Kylie Minogue? Maybe, but whether, 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 or not, whether or not these are, they probably won't be policy talks, they'll just be discussing the election results. I couldn't imagine, especially after the rhetoric that Fianna Fáil, uh, Fianna, Fianna Gael rather, uh, were putting out to the whole election that they just can't work with each other because of their wildly different from policy standpoints well, in, what would happen next in fairness I think one reason why uh, Michal Martin might have lost some support and Fianna Fáil lost some support because they didn't even look like they wanted to talk to Sinn Féin which if you're an anti-Shinner that's good if you're a Democrat and you believe that everyone's vote on every TD is an equal right to talk to each other um, it's not great because in a, you know all the reason why Sinn Féin and Gardner's vote is because some people don't want to talk to them uh, so I think Leo Vracker might be starting to realise that even if he gives the impression that they are somehow talking, exchanging letters, that he might sort of regain some support and he wouldn't be seen as being so um, old-fashioned in the in the sort of blocking off a party kind of thing. Is that, a, is that sort of an interesting way of looking at things? Yeah, that, I didn't think of it like that, but that, that is a good point, actually. When, uh, when I was talking earlier about, you know, uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, like, complete, like, completely rejecting Sinn Féin and that not being affected but that that's an interesting thing like you're saying uh, Varadkar trying to I don't know seem cordial or whatever towards Sinn Féin that, that could be an interesting shift in uh, their you know policy towards but, Sinn Féin because let's be fair during the election Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael attacked Sinn Féin in two different areas Fianna Fáil were very much the moral standpoint and Fianna Gael were you know, they pushed policy reasons why they didn't get along. So even though Fianna Fáil would have more like cultural links because of the whole green thing, uh, the same side of the Civil War divide, you can imagine, you know, Fianna Gael might be able to switch over to being more cordial easily because they didn't, you know, press on the IRA button every time they tried to attack them, whereas Fianna Fáil did. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's not really I don't really think that's the fault of the leaders. I think the, the grassroots of the party and members of the parliamentary party in Fianna Fáil push that rhetoric quite a bit I'm going to let you Brendan come in here if you want to add anything uh, well there's nothing that I think hasn't really been said that much already by Callum and Shane but I do want to go back to an earlier point by Callum in regards to um Fáil and Fine Gael's kind of strategy um, in, in kind of just espousing these anti-Sinn Féin rhetoric and how it doesn't have, seem to have helped them at all in the polls and I completely agree with that and I think that one of the reasons that is is again the issues we're facing are so large that no one really cares whether or not what they have to say about Sinn Féin even is true. Like they've had a lot of controversies, they've reached media headlines because of those things, with whether that's anti-Semitism or up the rah. Uh, but none of them have really stuck, and I think that's because if Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael really do want to do better in the polls, they have to propose better solutions themselves. Uh, because I think voters clearly they do want change of some kind. And if they're not being offered an alternative, if the, what their opposition is telling them is simply don't vote for these people because they're bad, well, that's not really an alternative. You know, they're not saying vote for us because we can do these things effectively. And I think particularly from Fine Gael, that's a really hard sell because they've been in government. They clearly haven't made well on their promises to improve health and housing. So why should anyone believe them when they say they will, especially if as far as I'm aware anyway uh, none of the current policies seem so radical um, as the policies they had when they were in government so as to change anything Okay well I think I think we're going to wrap it up there for 
discussions on current government information because I don't think we have anything else to say about it because there's, sure, there's nothing, nothing really happening. Ha- yeah. Exactly. We're just going to have to move on from that for now. But um, I want to quickly look at uh, the DCUSU student union elections or DCU student union elections rather. Um because we're voting has started today. It started on uh, at nine nine a.m. on 7 March seven a.m. seven a.m. Yeah. very early seven a.m. on March fourth, um, and we have a plethora of candidates this time around. Over the last few years, we've sort of experienced a drought of people even wanting to run. So seeing uh, more than one person running for president or more than two people running for president is is a nice change to see, and I think I think it makes things far more interesting. Um, so we'll, we'll look at we'll look at uh, the presidency first. So we have. Four candidates running for this: uh, Evan Fall, Katie Fay, Olivia Ford, and Fergal Lynch. Now, two of these are currently members of the SU executive. That's Olivia Ford and Katie Fay. Um, but do they have more of a chance of getting in than anybody else? Than uh, both Fergal Lynch and Evan Fall? Are they better placed to take a, take the take the presidency? In my opinion, I don't think they actually do necessarily have an advantage. I would have said so at the start, uh, but. Now I'm not so sure. It seems like Fergal Lynch seems to have a lot of support from business students and business students, um, as we saw definitely with Christine's vote, I would say, do seem to come out in droves and vote for people that uh, they like. So I do think he's in with a chance. And if the hustings were any indication as well, I think that Evan also has a pretty good opportunity to take it. Maybe a bit of a dark horse, although I don't think he will win. Um just because he is a slightly bit more unknown, he wouldn't have been in the same kind of remit of the SU world as the other three candidates. I don't think anything's necessarily impossible. And I think that's what's most exciting, not only about the presidential race, but probably almost every candidate's race, is that it really could go either way. You can't necessarily predict any of these. Yeah, well, funny thing about Evan um, Evan Fall as well is his campaign. I mean, his poster where he's dressed as uh, what's the milk? Pat Mustard. Pat Mustard. I was looking at Callum being the, the father Ted expert in the room. Well done, Tiger, getting him for him. Dressed as Pat Mustard, saying to everyone, "Deliver the milk and another." Like it's it's smart, but at the same time, you have to question how serious he is as a candidate. I haven't met him. I don't know. I haven't seen him. Haven't seen any of his events. I haven't even read the piece yet. I uh, haven't had the time. But uh, it's interesting as well to see. His campaigning being so, I mean, one poster is like uh, like a Tinder profile. One poster him dressed as Pat Mustard. One poster like help, I'm trapped in the I think, drinking room. Um, I think I I think he uh, he had a, a baby goat on campus yesterday. I think was that was that his baby goat? That was his baby goat, Billy the Kid, I believe. Is that is an ama- <laughs> that is unbelievable. That is amazing. Um, so yeah, we, we actually, the College View, uh, myself and Shane, did a, a an opinion poll um, for all of this. And, and Connor Resident. And Connor, 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 Connor Resident did help uh, with the gathering of data. Uh, but the results, uh, I won't say they were inconclusive, but uh, more, more it showed than anything is that most people who are going to be, if most people, if they do vote, don't know who they're going to vote for. Um, I think yeah, it was it? mental, mental statistics. Yeah, like, and even oh. I was... I went down to Pat's and I surveyed about 35 people there as part of the 150 that were surveyed. Um, and even down there, they're like, well, we're not going to vote for anyone we haven't seen down here. Like, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like people are, aren't going to vote for posters or um, for policy points. It's mainly on people they've seen like in the flesh talking to them or in or in lecture halls, which, you know, so it's a really... It's, it's really about who, not necessarily who has the best policy, who's the best manifesto, who actually runs the best campaign. And Dean O'Reilly in particular, I think is doing quite well in that. Um, yeah. M- me personally, I wouldn't be as interested in the 
SU politics as some as some people are. But I, I do find <laughs> I, I, I do find it interesting. I don't know whether this is just a product of you know when you're in first year, you do have a lot of interaction with the SU on like induction days, etc. But I do feel their presence has gone gradually less and less. Uh, I I haven't seen many of the SU uh, members this year, and and like like you say with that, um, you know, so many people who've undecided or haven't haven't even thought about it. I do think that's that's a product of the lack of interaction yeah. with the the student body, and there's a there's a bit of excitement around the elections, which is a good thing. But I think that should have that type of interaction should be there more regularly throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the people I polled didn't even know there was an election on. And then I showed them the candidates. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, he yeah, he, he was in with us. Yeah, I'm, I, I'll, I'll probably go for him, yeah. You don't even know if they're even going to vote, like, actually come the day because they didn't really know it was on. I was the first one to tell them, yeah, you know there's an election on, on Wednesday, right? So it's, it's interesting to see how a student union that we all have to be part of isn't really connecting with students. Well, I think um, I, I actually... I uh, had a chance to sit down with Claire Daly back in January there, who used to be the president of DCU for two years, actually. Um, the Students' Union DCU. Yeah, yeah. Students' Union, back in the 80s, so quite a while ago. The good old days. Um, and she did have some choice words to say and said it was it become very corporate, student unions in general, not just DCU, student union. And I think that effect has is clearly seen um, to me. I think if you take a more cynical view, some people clearly run for the student union positions not because they have necessarily any interest in actually doing a good job, although I'm sure everyone wants to do a good job, but it isn't necessarily their main interest. I think it's more something they can put down in their CV to increase their portfolio, to make themselves look better. Um, and again, that is an incredibly cynical point of view to have, but it's difficult not to have that opinion when, like Callum said, you don't necessarily see the student union members that often. And I'm sure on an individual level, um, most of the sabbatical team would work quite well with students. And if they have an individual problem, they come to them. It goes well, but when it comes to actually mobilizing the student body as a whole, they've kind of failed spectacularly. I, yeah. I remember back in, in first year at the Shinoan Shakedown, because that was back then, I remember uh, being at the protest. I remember seeing the likes of Niall Behan there, his his SU executive, and they were protesting outside. And they were there for, they had a massive, massive crowd. There was plenty of people there. They had press. They had uh, press from the Irish Times were there. RT was there. And then you come and look at something like what happened there last week with the yeah. Cut the Rent protest. And it was a tiny little protest in the mall outside DCU. Uh, outside the student outside union. The student no, union outside building. The, the, the president's office. Outside, outside the, student the actual, building, SU building. In the city, in the centre of, not the centre of the campus, but like the centre of the mall with, who were there for maybe like an hour or two. But yeah, it's, And there was no real sort of, this. There, there wasn't a big sort of sweeping statement made. But then you look at somewhere like UCC who have literally been camped out in the quad for days now. It's Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable really because it's such a, it's such a big issue that affects so many students that, I know Trinity had quite an effective protest as well, I think. But it's such a big issue that affects all the student body. And we haven't seen that mobilisation of, of many people. Uh, and I think it's, it's uh, very strange, if I'm honest. And I think that, that that's sort of symptomatic of a lack of engagement with the student population. Yeah, just, just on that, I mean, is it any wonder 
that DCU are raising rents again to the maximum that they can when there's no student union who can actually stand up and fight against it. Of course they're going to walk all over us because the protests that they can muster up are like, well, like hardly, they're a little bit on Twitter, a couple of videos, that's about it. I mean, so like a lot of the, like in fairness to a lot of the candidates, I, I've spoken to a couple of them and they all have very good ideas for events and things that are good crack to want to run and make sure that we all have a, a good college experience. But at the end of the day, a union isn't about organising events. That's what societies should be for. A union should be like, we have to sort of clump together, work to make sure that we're all, you know, as a community, as a student community, we all look out for each other. And when people are trying to raise rents again, when they're already super expensive as it is, that they rally the, the people up and fight against it, at least put up some sort of a fight. Pitching those tents out there outside the U, I don't think was a big enough fight at all. And, and, and so many people who were affected by it didn't even turn out because probably they didn't even know it. They're not that connected. So what I'd like to see from the next student union, whoever is elected, and I'm sure they're all um, fairly qualified to do the job, is to focus more on, especially if you're the president, to get people rallied up and just try and stop the the DCU and housing all that from walking all over us because they will. If you don't fight back against people or at least show some sort of resistance, they're, they're just going to walk all over you. And that's what's being let happen, I think. I, I think that you're totally correct there, Shane, because if you even look at the relationship that I think that the student union has had over the last few years, particularly with the president of DCU, it does, at the very least from the outside, seem to be a very friendly relationship. They're constantly sharing photos. Um, press release photos on social media, smiling together, shaking hands. So it is kind of difficult to believe, well, how would this student union that's supposed to have this great relationship with this president, who, as far as I'm aware, would definitely have some kind of influence, um, if not a vote, on whether or not the rents will increase, um, how are they actually supposed to provide any kind of opposition against this man um, or the incoming president, that it will be Derek Hill? And... I just, I would like to believe that that is possible. Um, and I think that next year we could see this depending on how the votes turn out because there are some candidates that, in my opinion, are a bit more political. I think even if you look at the two academic affairs candidates, both Cormac Flynn and Lucien Wadeli, both of them are more overtly political. Um, granted, their campaigns themselves aren't necessarily rooted in those type of affairs, but I could certainly see either of them taking on that role um, if the president doesn't maybe necessarily lead the mantle in that respect. So I guess we just need, we, we need to look at um, is the lack of engagement, I think, is the big problem here, is that the, the student union have sort of dropped off the, the map and they haven't really been sort of following in with uh, what what's student, with student issues as a whole. I mean, you have the likes of the USI sort of leading these big charges, but surely individual student unions should be looking more into it. What do you think, Callum? Yeah, uh, I think it's a lot of a lot of already been said, but um, I, I, there has there's been no ambition in any of the, the protests, or there's been it's, it's been completely ineffective so far. Hopefully, hopefully it'll improve. Um, but yeah, the, the lack of engagement is the main problem, and if you can't get students engaged in such a big issue as uh, extortionate. Uh, rents being raised extortionately high, then you're now you're not going to get them interested in any issues. 
Um, so I think we're just going to wrap it up here now. Uh, if anybody else has anything else to say before we do wrap it up, Brendan. Um, kind of again another campaign issue, I suppose. Uh, we had two, uh, students who were issued deportation orders. So Shepard Mackay and Mawish Sakib, I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, both of them obviously had were under two different SUs. So we did actually see with the last SU, there was a lot of press. They actually went on a Clareburn Live as well, I think even. Yeah. Um, whereas I think there was a lot less coverage of Mawish, sadly, uh, which is obviously both cases are terrible, but with Mawish, it wasn't just her, it was her and her children. Um, so it was a particularly bad case where you would hope that there would be kind of more media attention towards this. And I think that lack of engagement, that lack of speaking to people on the ground really affected that situation because many people wouldn't have known what was going on. And even if they did, how are they supposed to know how to get engaged? It's difficult to know how to even approach the SU necessarily. Do we just, do you have to just go to their offices? I think literally just being on campus, being on the floor more often, talking to people, literally just saying hello to people could make a difference in how engaged people are, especially something like a class address is something I think they should definitely be doing more often to just go into people's classes, say say to the professor, hey, can I take five minutes of your time? We have this thing going on. Really need to talk about it. It's really important. Yeah, I think I think there was there was little to none of that uh, for the likes of these protests. Yeah, I didn't see any of it. Yeah, um, um, I think that should be definitely been done more often. Yeah, just when the results are released on Friday, I think it is. The only thing I'll be interested in seeing is a the turnout and b they're also rerunning those two referendums or referenda. I don't know exactly one which referenda, one it is. Yeah. Referenda. Um, the rerun that they, they ran earlier, they couldn't get the, get the quota for. The re- so we, I'm, we haven't heard much about them either. I haven't they're heard, rerunning literally them the, because the only there was thing, no engagement with them the last. The time. only thing I seen of it at all was um, Christine actually uh, handed out a leaflet this morning. Now, I'd already voted by that point. I didn't take. I didn't take which like that's the first I've seen of it. So it'll be interesting as well to see if they've progressed on how they're rerunning that and the fact that it's running alongside elections that people might be voting for anyway. Whether that can actually where they can actually pass it this time. Um, that's one thing I'll be looking out for. And I'm sorry to actually hit the same point again about the engagement, but in regards to both of those referenda, the f- simple fact is there's only campaigns running for them um, on one side of the issue. So there's no actual people running a campaign to go outside of the USI or no one's running a campaign to not accept the new I SU believe there, constitution. There was, there was in the previous referendum, there was one for to leave the USI. But again, I tried to contact them about uh, and they just did, they didn't they didn't want to respond. Uh, yeah, exactly. And even within those two referenda, the ones that are in support of it, it's not like they're having a large presence either. So there's such little engagement that even the sole campaigns were running unopposed in favor of these positions barely make a mark, if anything at all. You you would almost miss them actually voting on the loop page because when you see the candidate's name, you could easily just skip over with your eyes the referenda. So I think I think we'll leave it here. Um, so thanks very much for listening to this another episode of the Spoiled Voter, Spoiled Voter podcast. I've been joined by Shane Brennan, Callum Atkinson, and Brendan Fernando Kelly Pilenke. Thank, Thank you very much, much for coming in. Uh, it's you. great to have you in. Uh, and thanks very much to Jonathan Lynham behind the uh, behind the editing desk. He's doing a great job putting out two episodes in one week. Uh, I've been Tiger Pinali, uh, and thanks very much for listening. <laughs>